we are in week number three of Seize the Day, and uh, very excited to continue in the series today where we've been up to this point. If you missed it, it's week one. We talked about how God created the heavens and the earth, and then all of the things within creation, he gave an assignment to the very first two human beings, Adam and Eve, to rule over it, to reign over it, to seize the day, if you will, to take responsibility and exert their authority, to boss it up, if you will. And then within our lives, the challenge for us is learning to not be a victim, to not wait for something to happen, to not wait to win the lottery, hello, uh, but to learn to just take ownership of what we have and do the best that we can with what we have, but trusting in the Lord. And last week we talked about how we can have the everyday dance. And in the everyday dance, I liken to the rhythm we can have with heaven in the morning and in the evening. As James says, submit yourselves to God and, uh, and come near to God was another part of it. When you come near to God, he will come near to you. And learning to submit, submit meaning to bounce off of, to check in with God every day. If you do it in the morning, it'll help you throughout your day. And even if things happen that circuit your journey and things happen that you didn't expect, by the time you get to the end of the day, even your mistakes, you can check in with God. And then it ends in that day and it doesn't carry over to the next day. And, and God will transform you. And of course, I talked about how everybody can have their everyday dance. And I said, and tell me that some of you aren't going to be dancing on Sunday afternoon when the Vikings beat the Saints. How many know the Vikings beat the Saints last Sunday? And so... And so I could just visualize you were all doing what we were doing uh, as we were watching in our basement on our TV. Uh, we're, we were doing more than dancing. We were shouting. We were being irrational. We were hugging. And uh, we were shouting. We were fist pumping. We were doing all kinds of stuff. It was an amazing moment. And um, I think that that could be the way it can be every day when we discover that we're partnering with heaven and he's helping us win. Can I get an Amen. Matthew chapter 16, open your Bibles, if you will, with me. Again, I want to challenge you to read the Bible. Um, I always like to say restore the paper Bible, just because I think the electronic version gets confused with ESPN.com and Twitter and Facebook <laughs> sometimes. But uh, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is going to tell us how to seize the day, the ultimate seizing of days. And he makes a declaration. It's the first time the word church is ever mentioned, and it's mentioned by Jesus. I want you to see it follows a declaration that Peter made about who Jesus is. But verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. By the way, all they're saying is they didn't see him as God. So they're trying to compare him to the people in their life that they knew. How many know there's nobody that compares to Jesus? But then he asked them, because they're on a journey of learning who he was, he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. 
and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. And here's an incredible moment. And Jesus is making a very big announcement. There's the PR release that's already gone out. He's going to show up in a certain place and he's going to announce the newest thing. It's bigger than the biggest new iPhone or Samsung, okay? It is a big deal. And if Jesus has already been traveling the area, preaching, healing, doing all kinds of things, by the time you get to Matthew 16, he's doing something new and it's almost a prophetic proclamation. It's something that's going to come. And I think it's interesting if you'll note where he did that. He chose to make his announcement in a place called Caesarea Philippi. This was a town that had been renamed. Prior to that, it was named multiple names, but it was named according to various gods that were worshipped there. It was a pantheistic culture. In fact, the god Pan was worshipped in that city. And that city was uh, uh, multiple temples throughout uh, ancient history to multiple lowercase g gods. It was also a crossroads and a byroad of commerce and People would come from all over the world and they would stop and they would go to that super America, if you will. And they would stop in that town and then they would worship their gods in that place. It was outside of Jerusalem and it was a unique place. And Jesus chooses to walk into this place. It had been renamed Caesarea Philippi because the, when the Romans took over Caesar Augustus, he declared that the town would be given over to Herod's son, Philip. And Philip wanted to rename the city, and he had a little bit of pride to himself, so he named it after himself. But to make sure that he didn't misuse his authority, he called it Caesarea, Caesar Philippi. He also named it after Caesar, okay? And he declares it right in the middle of this place. It was not it was not a place that most Jews would consider to be a holy place. In fact, it was a place that was kind of, if I were to go downtown and I were to be on Hennepin near Target Center and you know, there's all kinds of commerce going on and over here might be a, a strip club and there a high-end restaurant and the Target Center where the Timberwolves play, which they won last night, watch that game, it was an awesome game. Jesus would have gone to the place where people were and we wouldn't expect godly things to happen. And this is where he determines, he makes a statement, he says, this, I will build my church. He uses the word church. I'm gonna create something out of nothing. And he does it, if you will, on Twin Lakes Road in Elk River. And he does it on 93rd in Maple Grove. And he does it on University Avenue in Springlake Park. Are you following me? And he makes a statement and he says, I will build my church. The word church is the word ecclesia. It means the assembling together of people. It's people that he's calling together. And uh, it's not a building. When we say the word church today, we think of a church that, oh, you're that church, that copper top church on that road. Or you're that church that's got a new sign. Or you're that church with the really big parking lot or the really small parking lot. You're the church of the stained glass. We think in terms of buildings, Jesus was not describing any buildings at this point. What he is describing is people because people are what Jesus wants to work with. And he describes them as an assembling together of people. 
It's a gathering point. It's people coming together. And what he does is in the middle of all the temples that are around him and all the other gods, in the middle of the commerce and the business around him, and people chasing after other systems, Jesus declares a building project. And the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the separate projects that they're on, all come together into a unique family. And uh, they're coming together. He calls them out. He calls out people that are young, and they're coming. And the old, and they're coming. The wealthy, and they come, and they form this church. The poor, every skin tonation and color, every language group coming, and he's forming them, coming from religious and unreligious backgrounds. People that were introverts and extroverts. People that were coming out. They were leaving something and forming something new. He was declaring, I am going to build my church. In Jesus' mind, he saw people leaving one kingdom and joining his ecclesia, his church. In his mind, the called, up, called out ones were people from whatever kingdom that they were in were called to join together and be a part of one church. Isn't that beautiful? And when he saw it in his mind, he said, I will build my church it's an interesting statement because Jesus is in a process of building, not just one-time build. Because the people that would form each of the ecclesia were in their own personal building projects themselves. They were going through transformation. How many know that you're glad you're not the person you were 10 years ago? So you might have come to faith in Jesus 10 years ago, but there's still an ongoing building project in your life. He says, I will build my church. In a sense, I will keep building my church. I will shape my church. I will form the people within my church, and my church is gonna be strong. We'll talk about that in a moment. But these called out ones were not perfect people. How many know nobody's perfect? Until you get to know them, right? And so now, turn to the person next to you and say, I'm not perfect. <laughs> the way Paul talked about it years later, when the church was spreading and forming around the world, it started in Jerusalem, but it kind of spread like a virus throughout the world, a good virus, I guess. And uh, as the church was forming, Paul begins to speak to a group of believers in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheating people who are abusers or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once. Somebody say that with me. Some of you were once. You once were like that. Turn a person and say, I were like that. <laughs> but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Paul is addressing something that is a reality for us even today. The reality is, Though we've come to Christ, we are in a journey of him changing us. 
And the way he changes us is in the context of the relationships within his church. So in our church, we have all kinds of people from every backdrop. And some of us still have some of the old stuff in us. But we can look back and say, but I didn't have all of that stuff in me anymore. I were that. <laughs> I was that. I was the, that thing. But I'm becoming something new in the context of relationship in the body of Christ. And I know that in our church, we have people that have been here or in a church in a faith community for decades of your life. We've got people that have memorized entire books of the Bible, people that are deep, and they love deep things, and they want their pastor to preach deep on Sunday morning. But we also have people two rows in front of you that you don't even know that is here for the first time on a given Sunday. After coming here three times, the first two times, they sat in the parking lot nervously shaking or holding onto the steering wheel, trying to talk themselves into going into church because they don't feel like they're good enough and that people are gonna look down on them. And they finally made it to church today and they're sitting two rows in front of that other person that's a mature Christian. <laughs> See, the church has both. The church is made up of all kinds of people and we are meant to be together. We are meant to come together. And those of you that are in the early stages of your growth and your development, you're learning to trust, I want you to hear me. The more you trust, the more you can trust. It's a process. In other words, trust today and things don't work out, Keep trusting, the more you do it, the easier it gets. And you will see people in this room that if you knew their full story, you would go, really, you're just like me. Yup. But for the grace of God, who has transformed my life, we are both in the same church and God is changing both of us. Come on, somebody. He's transforming us together. Jesus declares an additional fact in Matthew 16, he says, I will build my church, verse 18, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. This is an amazing statement. Hell does have some power. How many know that's true? Hell has some power, okay? Evil has driven wars and abuse and division and all kinds of perpetration on, of, of evil people on others. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. It does have some power. Hell has some power to strike fear into people's hearts. But Jesus says this, my church isn't gonna have to bow to the powers of hell. Hell cannot conquer the church. Hell has no room no authority, no, it has some power, but there is a leash around hell's neck that can't come near the church. There is a fireproof nature to the church that the powers of hell cannot burn the church. We may go through the fire, but we won't be burned. The church, Jesus says, is fireproof. But I want you to notice something, Jesus 
isn't making a statement about individuals. He says the church. He doesn't say you will not be conquered as an individual. He says, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it, the church. The gathering together of believers. They will not be conquered, okay? And here's, here's what I want you to catch. Too much of our modern day American religion and understanding is so individualized that somehow we think that the promise is that God will help us conquer hell by ourselves, me. America is so stuck in me that we have lost the power of we. We've lost that power of connection and being part of something. Hell will come at you, but it will not conquer the church. As long as you're part of the church, hell won't conquer you. What happens if you're not a part of the church? Are you hearing what I'm saying? And Jesus cuts through and makes a declaration that the great we that he is building is his plan for you to overcome hell. And that's why Satan works so hard to get you disconnected from the church. He'll get you mad or bored or offended just to keep you from being in a place where you can kick his butt. Hello. Or what he'll do is he'll keep you busy so that you're not connected to the church. Or he'll help you replace your spiritual community with people who are not the church. Then we can build relationships with people, but you have to have relationship connected to his church. And when we're connected to the church, he tells us how to seize the day in the spiritual world. He says, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. How many of you have heard that last part before? That we can throw stop signs up, if you will. We can prohibit hell from doing things. And then we can throw green lights up to heaven saying, come on, God, move in that person's life. Many of us have known the principle that Jesus has given us keys, but many of us have not connected that to our personal connection to the church. That promise is a promise for the church. That promise is a promise for people who are connected to the church. If you want to overcome hell itself, if you want to be one who is not conquered by hell, then you need to be connected to the church. You need to move from we observing to, uh, to we into being a part of the rest of the church. It's not just me, it's we. Come on, somebody. There is a need for us to understand it. Friends, Jesus' church has had millions of saints who have gone ahead of us. Millions of people who have made it, who have gone through struggles just like we did. Hebrews 11, the chapter, the faith chapter, recants all of the people, Abraham and Moses and Rahab and people without names who gave up their lives or crucified, cut asunder, and they made it. And they had to fight battles, internal and external, but they made it and they fulfilled Jesus' declaration because they were part of the church. 
then it's critical that you see yourself as a part of his church. How you see yourself equals how you seize the day. If you are in a place where you are consistently overwhelmed and you feel like hell is going to beat you, are you praying from a place where you are disconnected from the church? Because if you are, you are target practice. Hell is coming after you. But when you're connected to the church with a bunch of other broken people just like you, something happens. You gain the promise that I'm in a community of believers, that God is on my side, and when the enemy comes at you, you don't have to give in to the lie that something's wrong with you. You can say, yeah, there's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with all of us. We all need grace. We all need Jesus. We all need a savior. Some of you are like, well, I don't wanna go to church. I don't wanna be in church. There's a bunch of hypocrites in church. There's room for more, baby. There's room for more. Honestly, when we come in, we come and God begins to draw us, we've got all kinds of masks up. Yes, when we're in church, we state we wanna be this and sometimes we do this. But because together we're in a journey Sometimes I'm gonna fall down and my brother's gonna pick me up. And sometimes he's gonna fall down and I'm gonna pick him up. Because I'm in the church, I can beat the devil because I'm connected. We are surrounded by people cheering for us. Surrounded by people in heaven cheering for us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, everybody said therefore. Since we are surrounded by so great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There is a picture provided that there is a grandstand in heaven, but I would also say that's only one part of the church, the one that's in heaven. The other part is down here, where all of us are cheering for the next group of people as they run their race to win their race. It's as if, it's as if we are out on the field of play and everybody's going, you can do it. You got this, you can make it. But sometimes we don't wanna make it. We're tired, tired of trying, feeling alone. And Hebrews begins to say that, hey, you need to change your perspective and see it a new way. You know, when I go to the gym, I go to Up Experience Fitness and a bunch of Emmanuel people are in there all the time. But I go to the gym, probably not enough. But when I go to the gym, <laughs> I, uh, I'll work out. I might do cardio and get on, on the treadmill and try to run. I might do weights. Um, I hate burpees, so I haven't been doing those for a very long time. 
But when I'm doing weights, there are times when I go to work out where I just, I have this conversation with myself. I'm like, I'm just tired. You know, and uh, maybe I should just stop. I've done enough, and I know I've got like two or three more sets to go. And uh, I might be like on the, on the uh, bench or something, and, and I'm like, I just need, and my, I just tell myself, you know, you need to listen to your body. You, you probably should stop working out. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. We have these conversations with ourselves. And, uh, and, and when, I, when I'm at that point, I'm, sometimes I'm, I'm tempted just to give up and put the weights away. And then I'll look up and I'll see somebody like Pastor David Nightthing walk into the gym. <laughs> and he's a beast, right? <laughs> he can work out. And I will all of a sudden have superhuman strength. Because <laughs> he's watching me. And I'm like, you know. And I finished the workout. There's a difference in how I work out because I know somebody's watching me. Are you hearing me? I perform different because somebody's cheering for me. I know that he's not going to ridicule me. And it can go wrong in life when we have a parent who's unpleasable and it's never enough and we're always trying to get their approval. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is learning to run our race and seize our days, knowing that there's a greater cloud of witnesses watching us. I have a, uh, you might have had somebody like your grandma who prayed for you all the time you were growing up and when you became a rebellious teenager and started doing stupid things. Look, I know none of you ever did. And she just prayed for you and, and then you made it through and now she's with the Lord. And that grandma is up in the stands cheering you on, going, you can do this. You can overcome this addiction. You can make it through this financial crisis. You can love your husband even when he's not loving you back yet. You can make it. And heaven is cheering for you to win. And see if it doesn't change your perspective on what you're doing, Hebrews. Surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight in sin. Lay aside, throw it down, shake it off, get rid of it. And he deals with two areas, the weight and the sin. The sin, I'll deal with first. The only one that can deal with our sin is Jesus. So sin we can take to him instead of holding on to it and say, Jesus, forgive me. All of Hebrews talks about Jesus being the, the, the one that is the hero of the, our story. We can turn to him and he washes us. But the weights, that's us. Things that we hold on to that we need to let go of, procrastination. Procrastination or self-control issues. Things that we wouldn't consider necessarily sins, but they're things that we need to own. And he says, lay those things aside and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Lay it aside, run the race. Seizing the day means running every day for the long run. Every day seeking to keep moving, refusing to let failure stop you, but it's always in the con context of running together with the church. Friends, you and I need to shift our thinking away from I'm just trying to hold on, which is I language, 
to the way I make it is we. I make it because we're together in this. We overcome hell together. We persevere together. We're planted in God's house together and we can't be plucked out. Even when you feel like you are lonely in the house, there's a great cloud of witnesses standing up and shouting, you can do this, don't give up. Jesus is with you. The challenge is to see yourself with the church, not a critic of the church. Not an observer, not a loner. I think if there's one thing that I, as a pastor, see and observe, is a shift in our culture because we, have, we get invitations to everything on Facebook and invitations to get this app and that app. We've got, we can partially participate in a million things. But when it comes to the church, we need to not see that as something we add onto our life. We need to be in the church and let those other things revolve around that life. Because the church will not be conquered by the powers of hell. And we wonder when we look at other parts of our life, why does it seem like things are getting burnt? And the power of hell is working on the periphery of our life. And I just challenge you, pull yourself in and go, you know what? I need to be a part of the church. I need to see myself as a part of the church. I need to reconnect myself to the church. You want to seize the day, recognize that you are a part of the most unstoppable force on the planet. I will build my church, Jesus says, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Jesus and his church, if you join and you're connected, I'm not talking about becoming a member of a church organization, but if you connect yourself, you join miracles. Minnesota miracles, Minneapolis miracles. Come on, somebody. And here's the truth. I've been reading through Luke again. And if you haven't, go back and read through Luke. I love the stories and the way Luke writes things out. It moves right into Acts. You get two for the price of one, Luke and Acts. And uh, I'm reading through and Jesus is consistently going out and having conversations with people who are outside the church. And he keeps saying, you can come. He keeps drawing them out. I believe in you. And he, he's making a statement about the people out there and who's on his heart. People that are on the outside have a chance with Jesus. Heaven is cheering for them to come home. And he declare, declares that in a parable in Luke chapter 15. Luke 15, he actually has three stories. I'll just point out one, the parable of the lost coin, verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So if Jesus, Jesus is given a glimpse, a preview into what happens in heaven. When one sinner comes home, of course, there's the story of the lost sheep in there and 
how he leaves the 99 and goes after the one. But in Jesus' way of doing things in heaven, if all of the grandstands of heaven are standing up cheering that one that's coming home, Jesus has given us a picture of how he feels about people who are away from him. See, it takes a lot of courage to take a step to come and follow Christ. It takes a lot of courage even to show up at church sometimes, for real. It takes a lot of courage to even be open to the possibility that change could happen in an individual's life. And Jesus says, when one comes home, we stop everything else we're doing and we go crazy. We go crazy because that person matters, right? That person matters. I want you to think about that's not just the people that are away from God, but it's also the way the culture of heaven, the culture of the church, to cheer each other on. There are enough critics in modern day America, everybody's critiquing everybody else. Everybody's got an opinion about what's going on in politics. Everybody's got an opinion about what's happening with business. Everybody's got an opinion about the teacher and the school that you go to. Everybody's got an opinion about some other family member and how they're parenting. Everybody's got opinions. But when they come to church, friends, they ought not be hearing the critiquers and the finger pointers. They must get the fans. The church that says, yeah, I know you're broken, but I'm cheering you on. Yeah, I know you got stuff. Yeah, but I'm cheering you on. Yes, I know you're a hypocrite, but so was I. But you're going to make it. Don't give up, girl. Yes, I know you're going through difficult times. Yes, I know the experiences you've had. Yes, I know that you've gone through people turning their back on you. I know that you've experienced pain in churches before, but let me tell you this. I'm not going to let your past pain stop you from, stop me from cheering you on today. You can make it. I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to cheer for you. You can make it. Come on, somebody. You can make it. And it's just a little bit you know, I talk all the time how I don't want church to become theater religion, where all you do is observe what's happening on the platform, but you see yourself as the church, connected to the mission of God, a part of the story. And I can't wait every Sunday when I get to look at faces and declare the glorious, loving, grace-filled gospel of Jesus Christ. And no, it's for you. It's for you. It's for you. But I didn't go to church growing up, Pastor. It's for you. I don't know all the religious jargon. It's for you. I'm on my third marriage. I've been divorced three times. It's for you. You don't understand? I, I've, I've been a drunk last night. I couldn't stop myself. It's for you. But you don't understand, I'm a hard-hearted person. I said something to my wife this week, it's for you. I'm a single adult and nobody cares about me and I feel like something's wrong with me and it gets reinforced everywhere I go. It's for you. It's for you, it's for you, it's for you, it's for you, it's for you. This is the church. This is the church. So. I imagine that what happens in heaven can happen in earth much like it did last Sunday afternoon at U.S. Bank Stadium. 
and in basements everywhere. Come on, somebody. As the Vikings went down, I have to admit, 10 seconds left, I was pessimistic. I told my boys, it's over. I've been around Minnesota since 1991, so I was already thinking, man, they could even get to field goal range and the kicker's gonna miss it. You know, that's why I was in my head, I was thinking about it. So I, we were down. And then of course, the score came, right? Case Keenum, Christian quarterback, hello. <laughs> he comes back, he throws it, Stefan Diggs, and goes in. But here's what I want you to catch, I'm gonna show you a clip today. It's a sideline view that the Vikings had. And the crowd was at one level. I want you to listen for where the crowd was. But as the player goes up the field and one guy brings it home, how crazy the place goes. And I want you to visualize how crazy heaven goes when you win your victory every day. And how crazy heaven goes when the saints come home. Watch this clip. Would you stand to your feet on all of our campuses? <laughs> 